I'm Asan. It's Friday, and this is the Friday show. Now, can everybody please put down your cups of coffee, put down your pens, your pencils, your knives, your forks, whatever it is you're doing, because we'd just like to take a moment to laugh at Man United. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now that that's out of the way, we can get on with the podcast. Good morning, Laura. How are you? Morning. I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm delightful. Delightful. <laughs> I had no I, I had no idea what a mess United have made until Howard sent me a WhatsApp going, "Can we laugh at Man United, please?" And I was like, "What have they done now?" And then I Brilliant. Phone, I went, oh my days. <laughs> well done, United. Morning, Howard. Morning. <laughs> Did you have a good chuckle? When I when I WhatsApp you, I did mean a a complete discussion on Manchester United, but uh, yes, I did because I wasn't even following the match. To be honest, does this have they blown their quadruple yet? Weren't they on for the quadruple? Well, it's definitely uh, rocking now. <laughs> it is on, yeah, fragile ground. Let's put it that way. So, okay. Anyway, some idiot. Uh, turned the fridge off last night instead of the microwave before they went to bed. So who am I to talk about idiots right now? So. Oh my god! Did that you was really a nice surprise that? for me when I got up this morning. So. But anyway, yeah. Uh, what can you say? I mean, two goals in the last ten, ten minutes or something. Martinez looks like he's got a bad injury, which I'm obviously not laughing at, but that's you know bad news for them. Uh, Harry Maguire is actually suspended for the semi-final against Brighton. That's probably good news for them. I don't know. Have you seen the equaliser? No. Oh my word! It's it's a Maguire classic. So, and I think <laughs> Varane went Varane went off injured as well. And obviously, Rashford's injured. So, oh my god! And the second leg against Sevilla is just three days, I think, before semi-final against Brighton. So, mm, yeah, it's suddenly it's gone from like two 0 the cruising. This is easy. Yeah, because Sevilla, I think, rested players because they've got a relegation fight to to worry about. Um, mm. And now, suddenly everything's just piled up on a big time. So, Well, look, I mean, you know, we shouldn't mock the afflicted, no, Howard. That, that's, that's, that's my view of these things. Laura, would you, like to, uh, would you like to quietly mock the afflicted before we carry on? I will, very quietly. <laughs> <laughs> a moment of contemplation a, li- a quiet moment of <laughs> contemplation lovely well, it, well look it wasn't raining in Manchester last night so at least the roof wouldn't have been leaking during the match so oh, well. uh, every cloud <laughs> yeah exactly. well there was plenty of clouds <laughs> metaphorical <laughs> and, uh, stop really. it stop it stop it well look from 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 one Hollywood FC to another Hollywood <laughs> FC Manchester City uh, we can I say that we slapped Bayern Munich 3-0? Am I allowed to... Is that a slapping? Is that a slappage, Laura, if you beat somebody 3-0? I think so. I think Tuchel was right in the sense of they did have the chances and it's not like we dominated across the park. It's not like we had 70% of the ball and stuff like that. But yeah, we outworked them. And mm. yeah, it was a slapping. To get beat, to be a European giant, shall we say, and to get beat 3-0 in the first leg of a tie... And then to have your players have a fight at the end of the match, I'd, yeah, I think we rattled them, and I'd say it was a bit of a slapping. I don't think we even talked about the the, the Sane Mane punch up in the uh, in the review, so we'll definitely have to spend well, a minute on that. But we didn't know oh, about it at the time, no, did we? So. We didn't. Before we get there, um, now the dust has settled. How do you how do you reflect upon 
the performance rather than the result was there something different in it from previous campaigns and previous big knockout ties is that for me yes i did say howard <sighs> it's a tough one that that's why i was asking is that for me because give that to laura because it's it's one i need to think about even though i put the question in the agenda so honestly I'd, I'd rather wait and see before saying, oh, this is like era defining or this is a new city in the Champions League. But just to go back to Tuchel, you know, to to blend that into this answer. Yeah, we we thought it was all right. Yeah. Well, sore loser <laughs> in the post-match conference. But I kind of see his point. The importance of this victory, and as Laura said, it was pretty even for an hour. But what really impressed me is how we made, with the substitution in that last 20 minutes, how utterly ragged they looked in the last 20 minutes. When I thought we were flagging, you know, about five minutes into the second half, I thought they're coming on strong here. We're going to need every bit of energy here. Just how we made them look so amateur at times in the last, towards the end of the match, stood out more than what was a close and high-level contest in the first hour that I think City shaded. Uh, but you've got to look at the whole 90. And it's like, I understand Tuchel's approach in a way because Bayern did pretty much nothing wrong in that match. That's why this victory stands out and is so impressive to me. We didn't get him on an off day. I think Tuchel got, you know, if you look at some of the tactical stuff online after the match... Tuchel got it pretty much spot on. But Pep found a way. This team found a way. And we put three past the team who's only conceded two in the entire Champions League so far this season. And also, there was a, I've lost, yeah, I can't remember the stat about them conceding three. It's just without reply, you know, losing by a three goal margin. It's just unheard of for Bayern. So I don't want to make some big, you know, exclamation about how defining this result is because it stands for nothing you know it counts for not very little unless we go on and win the tournament but I think since we started like 2000 and I don't know 11 was it uh or was it 12 doesn't matter in this decade of or so of Champions League you can see like it is baby steps at time and and it is a cup competition, so it's hard to say that unless your team is so far ahead of every other team in Europe, like Pep's Barcelona, you've no guarantee of winning this. You can't say a t- one team's going to win the tournament. But sometimes you get these results that think, we've taken another little step forward in getting this tournament and being a team that can win it multiple times in the future. Now again, if we go out to, I don't know, Real Madrid in the semi-final, it counts for nothing. But it did feel like there was something important happening during this game that, mm. you know, that, that was different from the past. Do you agree at all, Asa? Um, I, I do, but I think it's I think it's a combination of factors. I don't think that like I don't think that we've woken up and suddenly like oh we get the Champions League. Oh yeah, League. yeah. It's a I think that, thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, you know, I think it's more to do with personnel um i've referred to it a few times but it makes sense to refer to it now what guardiola said after one of the leipzig 
legs where he he kind of was asked about his Champions League record and he basically said, look, we've been we've not been knocked out of the Champions League because we don't score enough goals. We've been knocked out of the Champions League because we don't defend properly, because we give up soft goals. And he then went on to say, now I've got defenders who like to defend and that's the difference. And I do think to a greater or a lesser extent, that's the key thing here that if you've got, I've always felt in the last five or six years, no matter what the combination of defenders that we pick, that there's a mistake in one of them. And in the Champions League at the highest level, you'll be punished for those mistakes. And I think that what I feel, the confidence that that four Stones, Diaz, Akanji, Ake have given me is that, one, I'm not convinced that there's a massive rick in any of them. And two, if one of them does make them but make a mistake, the others are there to cover and the arse doesn't fall out of them immediately. So if you contrast that, for example, with Bayern, right? Um, Bayern go a goal down. And for me, it's pretty much curtains at that point. And particularly at 2-0, they just give up on everything. Um, and that permeates for me from a lack of kind of, a lack of leadership, but also just a lack of defensive solidity, a, lot, a lack of stability, for want of a better word. Um, and I feel as though we're the, we're the opposite of that right now. Even if we concede a goal, Liverpool is a great example. At home, you concede the type of goal that you always concede against teams like Liverpool. It's the perfect excuse for everybody in the City team to just kind of begin throwing their arms in the air and for the performance to become, just get worse. And it's almost like we just brush it off our shoulders and go, right, we carry on because that's how good we are. And I, I do think that that comes from a collective belief that one mistake won't lead to two and lead to three. So to go back to your original question to me, I do think that that's probably the key for me in the Champions League is that I feel as though mm -hmm. that collection of defenders, they're not, even if they make a single mistake, they're not going to make two, three, four repeatedly in a game and give up soft goals. Not that, you know, I, I do think that we have to be careful of lumping last season into this because I don't think that, I think what happens in, at the end of the game in Madrid is an absolute freak. It's just an absolute freak. It's not really connected. To, I've seen a lot of people say City were naive, City were, no. It's just, it's a freak thing that happens. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that could have happened with with any of the lads that, that were on the pitch against Bayern being on the pitch. So I wouldn't lump that into this, but in general, I think that, I think that that's where we're at. Um, Laura, just in terms of Bayern now, obviously Tuchel felt that Bayern didn't do much wrong. Um, what did they do wrong for you? What do you think, what do you think they lacked in that performance? Um, I think tactically it was, it was all right, the way he set up and stuff like that. I think for me, it was more A, the mentality of them um, after going a girl or two down and B, the work rate. 
Um, we outworked him. Jack Grealish twice picked, was it? I think he picked the goalkeeper off, picked the ball up, caught him out in possession. Um, our pressing, especially when Alvarez came on, for me, that was almost a little bit of a turning point. Yeah, um, sure. I don't know whether it was because Alvarez came on and that substitution made a difference, or I don't know whether it was because we got the second goal shortly after and that's what kind of made the difference or if it was a bit of both I'm not sure but I felt like the heads kind of just went um, and that obviously you know that shows given what happened in the tunnel after the end of the game between Sane and Mane but I think we honestly just outworked them they looked lazy because they, they still they were still on the ball they still mm-hmm. had possession um, they had 12 shots um, I think they had 4 or 5 on target good, good attempts as well um, they could have easily got a goal. Um, Edison stepped up when we needed him. Um, I don't know. I think in terms of tactics, I don't know if there was much else that could have been done. It was more a case of, of the work rate and mentality. But if I'm being honest, I don't know who stands a chance against this City side now. Um, you know, if we do get through, it looks like we're going to be playing Real Madrid. We play Real Madrid. I don't I back us against them. I can't, mm. I, I don't feel like anyone stands in the way. So I feel like Bayern Munich are almost just like more victims to to Manchester City at the minute because ultimately it's, it's like we're unstoppable, really. Have you have you ever had this level of confidence? I mean, I think maybe the, the 100 point season, 17, 18, mm. um, is the only time that I sort of, I almost got myself to a stage where I felt as though we could achieve anything in that yeah. season just because of the the quality. Have you ever felt like you have this season before? Um, it's a weird one because actually, when when you look at the squad that we've got now, it's not. It's the, I think it's the best we've ever played. Mm. Uh, it's the best system we've ever played, but it's not the best team we've ever had in terms of squad Fair. depth and in terms of who we've got up front. Um, but I think what. Pep's done to all of these players is just absolutely incredible. Um, I don't think I felt this confident, not in terms of the Champions League anyway. I feel like for the first time ever, really, a defence is the heart of a Manchester City team, which is a really weird thing to say. And we've got amazing attackers. I mean, we've got Erling Haaland as well. (laughs) You know, it really is incredible. But I think the defence have never had this much of an impact on a team. Um, So, yeah, I'd say that's why my confidence levels are so high, especially when we're talking in terms of Champions League. Mm. Um, okay, Howard, on the flip side, Bayern, did the plucky part-timers ever stand a chance? No. I mean, <laughs> they should be proud of themselves that they came here and only lost by three point, uh, three goals. I mean, what chance could they ever have? They yeah. just a ragtag bunch of free transfers, loanees, part-timers. You know, as I said on Twitter, I think Kimmich uh, has got a milk round three mornings in a week uh, before he goes to training. Uh, no, I mean, all they've got behind them are three multinational companies and uh, and the power to pick off any players they want from the German league. They've never stood a chance against us. No, they, uh, they, they, they didn't really. They, they should be proud that it was only a, a three-goal margin, to be honest. Uh, yeah, very proud indeed. Uh, it's just, I don't know what's more... I say annoying, it's just hilarious nowadays. And it's not, you know, there's lots of, I mean, loads of praise for this performance in the press, UK press, after the game. Let's make that very clear. I don't know what's more hilarious is being 
patronised by the Bayern fans themselves with their banners and tifos, like like we give a damn about your, you know, fine. You've got you've got your ideas on how football should be run. That's absolutely fine. We're not interested in them. Uh, you know, let's take a huge tifo to Bayern next week with Uli Honus in a prison uniform. I'm sure, I'm sure they'd love her, uh, that if we uh, pass that across the away end. Or just the fact that somehow, somehow, uh, and we won't name names, uh, someone whose uh, owner, his peerage was celebrated by the Kremlin, no less, is is moralising us on financial disparity between these two sides. I mean, look at their squad. It's amazing. <laughs> Bayern's squad is amazing. They are, leaving City out of it, I think they're the best team in Europe. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think that it's one of the things that I think has a little bit gotten lost in the hyper. So two things have happened. I think. I think that there's obviously the Sane Mane thing. Um, I feel as though has allowed people to not talk about City because it's become about oh, we're buying her a mess. Um, and I think the other thing is that because of the nature of the game, because City win in a way so comfortably, but without really. You know, it, it wasn't, City didn't have more of the ball. Laura's right. That is weird for City to play anybody at the Etihad and to cede possession in the manner in which they did or to allow as many shots uh, at, at Edison as they did. Um, but I think that those things weirdly have a little bit allowed this, the, the just the pure quality of Bayern to go under the radar. I mean, from a squad point of view, Fine, they they miss a world class number nine in the way that City did last season, but after that, I mean, Kimmich, Goretzka, Upper Meccano, Delict, Alfonso Davis, Leroy Sane, Jamal Musiala, Kingsley Coleman, Serge Nabry. These, this is you know, th- that is the elite of the elite, and you're talking about you're not even talking about older aging players. You're talking about a young dynamic yeah. side so it it's really it, it it makes it even more impressive i think the way that city managed and handled the game um, a question for you both howard i'll start with you and then laura i want you to think about this a little bit as well um obviously something feels different obviously we find ourselves in this in this moment where a season the season almost feels schizophrenic in that there was a part in it where we were just like, let's write this season off because mm-hmm. nothing's going to happen. The team are terrible. They're not playing well. The squad is too small. Everything's a mess. And we've gone from that to here. And I can't help but feel that two things are absolutely key and crucial to that. Those two things are the Premier League charges and Guardiola choosing violence, basically in terms of going, Cancelo, you're out. Laporte, you're not playing football anymore. Walker, you've stepped out of line. You sit down as well. Would you agree that those two things have quietly, I think, been crucial to what's happened subsequently? Yeah, I think there was a reinvigoration amongst in the club as a whole after those charges mm. and with Pep struggling 
to get that cohesion inside, he made some big, big decisions. Uh, it's risky. Well, yeah, we're one injury away from having big problems in key areas, but I guess that's always been the case anyway. Uh, yeah, the, the plays you've sent, you've mentioned, we do have cover in those areas. Uh, it's it's more further forward to perhaps you know one injury and our view on the season could suddenly change again very differently. One bad result, you know, not beating Leicester, dropping points in the league or whatever, you know, it can all change very quickly in football. I think that is a big part of it, but I think there's also the the fact that Pep's found a new way tactically. Uh, you know, because you look at Laporte, for example, I think it is tactical as much as I don't think he's been a well, a sad face in training, maybe, or you know, a problem in training. I don't think so. I think it's you know, I think tactically, he just doesn't fit into this system. There's there's plays more suited to how we're playing right now rather than say a more traditional back four in the past. Same for Walker in a way. Uh, but it's weird, yeah. After the charges came after the Spurs defeat, and right then it was like, oh my god, I don't know what the future holds, you know, at all. Uh, the problems earlier in the season could still prove costly, perhaps in the league, uh, but that's football. You know, he found a new way and we look like we're pairing now. I think the brilliant thing is, is what this bodes for the future. Hmm. So look, we could still end this season with nothing or everything. So we could, you know, we might get an FA Cup, we might get nothing, uh, we might not win the league, we might not win the Champions League. But I think I've seen enough in the last couple of months to you get that reminder again that always, when you have a little dip, especially when Pep's around, this team are very quick to remind you of what they can achieve. And also, we're absolutely set up and primed for dealing with end of seasons. Uh, so the injury count, you know, compared to, you know, mentioned what United have got right now, or Liverpool or other teams, we're in this position because of Pep, because of the team behind the scenes, the whole team, and because we're used to being in this situation. So I think though I think Pep choosing violence was a big it was a sliding doors moment, definitely. I think it reinvigorated him. It reinvigorated the players whose heads were down generally, I think, because they couldn't probably couldn't understand why the performances weren't at the levels they used to. And I think tactically he's also brought something new to the table that now, because when this team purrs they go on that pitch feeling probably pretty much invincible mm. and they go behind at home to Liverpool and it's like, it doesn't matter. We, we believe in ourselves that at the end of that 90 minutes, we'll still be ahead of Liverpool or, you know, we can put, we can take a really strong 15, 20 minutes from Bayern Munich and then just hit back and get two goals and actually leave, you know, get their heads down and leave them looking dejected. So, yeah, long-winded way of saying I pretty much agree with you, but I think there's tactical reasons as well as to why we find ourselves in this strong position right now. Laura? Yeah, um, I think the the charges kick-started it. Um, I've been to quite a few games at the Etihad this year and um, that game, I think it was Villa that we had um, after the charges and stuff like that got announced. I've never felt an atmosphere like it. It was different. It was different to when I'd been there before. Um, Violent, it, maybe. Yeah, no, it was, but it was, it was nice. It, it, it was like unity. That's kind of what it felt like. 
Um, so that was a turning point. But I think what Pep's done is incredible because if you take it back to the summer when Zinchenko went, a lot of our fan base were unhappy and they weren't unhappy because we'd lost Zinchenko. Um, they were unhappy because we hadn't replaced him. And before he even went, we were already short in the fullback area. There was already a lot of shouts every, every year, it's we need a left back, we need a left back. And then Zinchenko left and it was like, oh God, we're not replacing him. Um, if you'd have told the same group of fans that in January, Cancelo would be hopping off, you'd be like, nah, season's done. Season's finished. Um, but Pep's then got, you know, he's, he's got two things he can do. He can turn to the media and whinge about it and say, yeah, we're losing, we've got no fullbacks, we've got no squad depth. You know, I know a manager on Merseyside that might have done that um, and complain. Um, or he can come up with a solution and work with what he's got. And I think it's absolutely incredible. Nathan Ake, who we bought from Bournemouth, has pocketed absolutely everybody this season and it has been incredible to watch. Akanji, you know, we got him on the cheap from Dortmund. Ruben Diaz had a little dip and he's he's kind of come back. Um, John Stones playing like a Rolls Royce in the midfield now. It's incredible what Pep's done. Um, it just shows that, you, you know, he, he can do anything, he really can. Um, and I've never, ever felt more confident as a result. I really haven't. Um, I think Pep absolutely deserves his flowers. I don't think he gets enough credit. People say, oh, you know, City just spend big. They can buy whoever they want. That's why Pep's done well. Not at all. We didn't go and get a shiny new last minute replacement in the winter transfer window when Cancelo left like we could have. Not at all. That's not that's not how it is. Pep Guardiola wins games because he's just an incredible manager. Um, so, yeah, definitely a mixture of both. But I think in the end, more more Pep and the fact that he's chosen violence and he's he's chosen to kind of put the team out that he's putting out and he's he's being consistent he's saying to Kyle Walker no he's told Cancelo to get off um I think Pep's the heart and soul of it I really do I agree and I think it's I I think in a way um I wonder whether Guardiola's the type of character where it's not success that inspires him and invigorates him it's perceived failure or kind of the challenge of climbing to the top of the mountain yeah and I, and I wonder whether that's almost, I feel as though there's been this kind of transmission from Guardiola into a small group of players in that, in that dressing room. You're my next team and we're going to do this together. And, and everybody on the kind of fringes, anybody who's getting in the way of that or anybody who's bringing an attitude to that, 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 kind of affects the collective it's just getting put on the sideline and i think that that it invigorates pep it gives confidence to the players i think you know certain decisions that he made this season they they speak to a for me they speak to a manager who in a way was looking for for solutions but also isn't afraid is completely fearless in his search for whatever it is he's searching for. And the decision I'm thinking about is Rico Lewis. I keep saying this, none of this happens. What's happening right now, none of it happens if Rico Lewis doesn't come into the team and does what he does from right back. Because it's only when Lewis does that, that I think that Pep begins to see a way through and a way for the system to work and to be incredibly effective. And then John Stone sat on the sidelines, guaranteed Stones will have been shown videos of Lewis and how Lewis played that position. And that's how he's learned. And for, for the, 
for me, it's such a huge turning point, Lewis coming into the team, showing that he can play next to Rodri in centre mid from a right back position or just from a defensive position. And that's inspiring. It's reinvigorating. It's brave. And also it sends a message to any knobhead personalities in the dressing room that nobody's place is safe here. Nobody gets a free ride here. If your standards drop, if your quality drop, drops, if your performances drop, somebody will come in and take your place. So I think almost on every level, the the, the kind of the post Premier League charges moment has just been just huge. I mean, I genuinely, I feel as though if we win it all, we're going to have to thank the Premier League for throwing those charges out. <laughs> it's the only thing we can do because honestly, two days before those charges, not a, to a man, everybody, me included, and I'm the most optimistic of optimists, I was going, it's a season of transition. It's fine as long as by the end of the season, we know what we're transitioning to. It's fine. We can have a down season and then go on to next season. Whereas now, and Howard's right, we might not win anything. But the fact that the run-in, the last four weeks, we're in the mix for everything. We've just put in the performance that we put in against Bayern. You can't help but be confident and feel that we could uh, we could do a lot. Right. Either of you two watch Real Madrid Chelsea? Yes. I watched a bit, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know how to feel about the fact that it will be Real Madrid that we have to face if we if we manage to get past Munich. Laura, for you, do you see it as an opportunity for revenge or do you see it as something a bit nervy? Revenge. Pep's chosen violence so far. So, no, absolute revenge. Like I've said before, um, put, put us up against anyone now. We scored so many goals against Madrid last season and our problem was was that we leaked goals. We're not going to leak any goals this time round, I don't think. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Howard, having watched Real Chelsea yourself, uh, your thoughts on both those sides and whether Chelsea have got any hope of getting back in it? Probably not with the manager they've got on the sidelines. It's a weird game. I don't see it as revenge myself because we've put them out. They've put us out. Uh, you've just got to think about this season, really. But it's a, such a weird game. I mean, Chelsea were like all over them at the start. Then Madrid turned the screw. And I'm just not sure how well they played. Vinicius Junior is the one that worries me more than anything. It's just potential to be so destructive in that side. But obviously, as Laura said, we don't fear anyone anymore. They're Madrid. They could be rubbish and still get through against us. So they'll just uh, pull their Joker card out like they always do. So I know, obviously, no away goals. So it's just, it is what it is. They need to make up two goals, Chelsea. I looked at their lineup and thought, you know what? That's, that's a bloody good lineup. Mm. It, in theory, it's as good as Real Madrid quite easily. But of course, on paper, it's just irrelevant in a way because we're not dealing with it on paper. We're dealing with a team that are like 11th in the Premier League. And now they've got in, let's be honest, and have bang average stroke failed manager to, but he gets the club as if that's going to make any difference to try, you know, until the end of the season. And I guess 
what the game showed is that they still can't get a cohesive performance out of a lot of very, very, very talented players. And I'm, I'm torn in a way because Chelsea would have been a better option, but there's always that chance that they do get something together. Because I say, like, Chilwell and James on both flanks, you know, Fernandez in the middle, the, Sterling, the so Kovacic, you know, I think's a great player. They've got Koulibaly at the back. There's, there's, there's lots of talent in there. And I'd hate the narrative as well of a semi final against an English club. Uh, but ultimately, I think Real Madrid will be the, the harder option. But I still feel that if Chelsea were on it, or if they'd come up against a team that were on it, there were some flaws in that Real Madrid side, I think. But on the flip side, they don't, they've shown in the past, they don't even have to play that well to get through. I mean, they were dead and buried against Chelsea as well last season. So, hey, it is what it is. And, you know, you get past Bayern Munich and Real Madrid. They're the two sides I'd hate to face in the final itself. So <laughs> by beating them, you've avoided them in a one-off match. I'd rather play them over two legs, definitely. Yeah, so I think, much I think better to have them in a semi-final than a final. Yeah, I, I think I think that's fair. I think I think Madrid will be. Um, look, if we, firstly, it, it's not a foregone conclusion that we get past by, and that's my point of view. I no, think that you, you you have to go there, and you have to be serious about it. And if you're serious about it with a three 0 lead, you should get through. And if you get through, and you you end up facing Madrid, I think that you're right. I think in a way, Vinicius is is key. I do think that they're defensively a little bit flawed. I think that you, you, we saw last season over two legs that there will be many opportunities for City to score goals. And then I think the going the other way, it's about how we handle, um, what Madrid have in their attack. Um, but I do think we can do it over the two legs as difficult and as, you know, it's just, it's very annoying to have to play Bayern Munich and then potentially Real Madrid. But all right, nobody can say if we get to the final and we win it, nobody can say we had an easy route. Do you know what I mean? I think we comfortably will have played the top two or three teams in Europe to, uh, to win the Champions League. I think um, if we do excellent. get through, it's the away leg first. So. Some see that as an advantage, but who knows? So. I think that is a massive, massive advantage. Are you sure about that? Well, don't have a bet on it, though, but I, I have read it somewhere. I did when the draw came came out. I'm pretty, I'm almost certain I read that, but I was only thinking about the buying game, so I didn't give it too much attention. But gotcha. I think no it's right. You don't quote will, me on it, though. I will, I will have a look once we're uh, once we're done with this podcast. Yeah. Right. Uh, anything else that, that you two want to reminisce about from the last seven days in, in football world or Man City world? Whew. Just that I see that Erling Haaland's our top scorer from the last three seasons. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, he's, he's, he's our top scorer over the past three seasons and he's only been here for <laughs> two thirds of one season. So. <laughs> Yeah. There's always a new Erling Haaland stat every week, is there not? So <laughs> yeah. scored more than Chelsea. Uh, he is, of course, the highest ever Premier League player scorer in a you know in all comps in a single season. Now overtaken Rude van Nistelrooy, I think. So yeah, what can you say? I mean, really, it's just they're just stats that 
stop making sense <laughs> sometimes, don't you? You can normalise it, but there's nothing normal about what he's done this season. And he's probably got development areas as well. Yeah, there's areas where he can integrate into this side more in the future, I reckon. Oh, it just get better. I just think he'll, he, his ceiling is, he's nowhere near his, his metaphorical talent ceiling. Um, and so this is just the beginning. This is just the appetizer. And that's probably the most frightening prospect. I think that I always felt that he'd hit the ground running in terms of scoring goals because that's, that's what he was born to do. I think in a funny sort of way, the fact that he's a penalty area footballer more than he is a dribbler, a technically, you know what I mean? Like it, the, the fact that he's just like in many respects, the prototypical old fashioned number nine I've always felt is actually counterintuitively ideal for a Guardiola team. Because the one thing that Pep teams always do is they always create a lot of chances. They always manage to dominate the football for long periods. Um, and then what you want to marry that up with is just a volume of goals. And that's what he gives you. He, we, we would miss clear cut chances regularly. And now we bury half chances regularly because of Haaland. That swing is a big swing. And this is the first season that we're seeing it in. So I expect it to, yeah, I expect things to only get better from here. Uh, just before we look forward, uh, move on. on. Just your thoughts on transfers, the future, Jude Bellingham. I'm sure you've got something to say on that. Poof. Where do I start? Um, it's been a fun week, press, hasn't it? Press release on Liverpool during a City match. Yeah. <laughs> Two own goals from um, United. It's just like... Yeah. What a week. What a week. Okay, transfers. What What do I reckon? I mean, uh, again, this is just my opinion. Uh, I, I think that everybody probably knows that he wants to go to City. And I think that Liverpool's exit strategy was probably the smartest exit strategy for them to take, which is to go really early and go, we just can't afford that because it's easier to do that than to continue to dance with Dortmund and with the Bellingham family with the shadow of City looming over the transfer. Because outside of the kind of giddy, you know, that there's obviously a section of the media that, for for profit, for clicks, it's a great story to write that Jude Bellingham loves Liverpool and he wants to go to Liverpool. But I think anybody that was looking at this from a practical footballing point of view, and I said this four months ago, and I took a lot of stick for it, but I just didn't really see how Liverpool could seriously take Bellingham if City seriously wanted him. And that was when we weren't even doing that well. Now that we are where we are in the league, in the Champions League, yeah, I, I think I think Drew Bellingham will be a City player by uh, by the end of the summer. Well, I'm not um, so sure. I heard he had a poster of Jose Enrique on his bedroom wall, wasn't it? Oh, really? The, the reason I wanted to mention it is like, you seem so... I'm, I'm not sure I've shared this opinion, Uh I'd like to ask Laura about the, the fee itself and whether City would pay it, but just your, your opinion, Asen, of where, sorry for taking over, <laughs> that Real Madrid, the, the Real Madrid he's not moving to He's not moving to Real Madrid. Why are you so he's, sure about that? 
because he's not moving to Spain. He's English. He's 19. I mean, I'm honestly like it's, it's again, it's one of those that when you're in the kind of bubble of a transfer, it's dead easy to look at the name Real Madrid and go, uh Oh, but then if you actually take one step back, how many generational talented English footballers in the current climate where the Premier League is by some distance the best, most competitive league with the best players and the best managers, why would a player who it is widely reported, like Erling Haaland, that they are very serious about their careers, they've got serious career plans, they're not after money, they're not really after fame. What they want to do is they want to be the best in their position and recognised for that and play in a team where they're going to win trophies and basically be be part, be be recognised as one of the, the footballing greats. I don't see it at Real Madrid. How do you, who's going to be the manager of Real Madrid next season? Do you know? Because everybody's saying Carlo Ancelotti's leaving and he's going to take the Brazil national team job. So who's negotiating with Jude Bellingham? Because I know that for City, Guardiola's on the phone going, this is where you're going to play. This is how you're going to play. This is how you're going to fit into my team. Is Carlo doing that? And if Carlo's doing that, is anybody asking Carlo how secure his job is? Because they're like 15 points behind in La Liga. And the word is that Perez, even if Carlo goes and wins the Champions League again, is going to flick him at the first opportunity. So, no, I just, I don't think it's a, I think it's, I, I just don't think it's realistic at all to think that the Bellinghams are going to go, yeah, the best thing for our career right now is to go at Real Madrid, where they've got Shuameni, Camavinga, Tony Cruz, Luka Modric, Fede Valverde, right? And Modric and Cruz are both signing new contracts. So, sorry, the floor is now yours, Howard. Yeah, no, all I wanted to ask Laura was, do you have any, do you think City would put £130 million down on the table? Plus fees, of course, as as it will be reported. A £7.8 billion deal is what it will be. Uh, Do you personally have reservations about paying that much for Bellingham? It's crazy. Um, it's a lot of money. Um, I could do I with think, a bit of it, yeah. Yeah, I won't mind. I won't mind a chunk of that. But um, if if Sissy feel he's he's worth that and it, he'll make a a big difference to this team, then yeah, they'll pay it. Um, they'll only pay what they feel the players worth. I mean, we saw last season with Kukurea that they wouldn't pay that. Was it sixty mil? <laughs> um, so. I thought the city board are really, really good in terms of in terms of transfers, and I know obviously they, they, they spent big on Jack Grealish, but I've said before on here that Jack Grealish was he was worth that to Villa. So you've got to pay the players worth to the the current club, aren't you? Really? Um, so if they feel like that A is worth that to Dortmund, and B he's going to come in and make a massive difference to this team, and we're going to get maybe longevity out of him. Um, I think we'll pay it, but I can't understand why he'd, he'd even consider Liverpool. Why on earth would you want to go to Liverpool, who are having the season that they're having, um, when you could come and play under Pep Guardiola with Erling Haaland history. and Akanji, who he's history, played with as well? Laura. Well, I just, I, I, I think he'll be a City player at the end of the season, and I think we'll we'll pay the fee, and I don't think Liverpool will. Yeah, I think it comes down to I think City have got two. 
I think that broadly speaking that you have two different types of transfers at City. You will have what I consider to be kind of normal transfers where City will go in and they'll go, you know what, we've got a limit here and we're not going to go over that limit. And if the other side takes the piss, we'll walk away. And then you have what City consider to be exceptional talents. And De Bruyne is a great example that that deal was always getting done, whatever the fee was going to be, because they just, they wanted him. Um, I think Grealish, even though it ends up being the £100 million release clause, the reality is that City tried desperately to negotiate that. But in the end, even if they felt he was overvalued at 100 they paid it because they wanted the player. Um, and for me, I think, I think Bellingham absolutely falls into that category where... They, he's just at 19, he's a generational talent. He's a player who, with Gundogan leaving, he is a phenomenal, phenomenal midfield addition, uh, in a summer where Gundo is leaving. So I just, like you say, Haaland, he's mates with Grealish, he's mates with Stones, he's mates with Foden, very close to Haaland. Akanji, it's, it's just, I, I'm at the point where I feel. I think we're probably at 75, 80% that he's a City player at the uh, at the end of the summer. Uh, I think that nothing is ever done until it's done, but I think we're, we're near enough there. Um, well, I'll believe it when I see him buying some scampi fries and needs <laughs> <laughs> a local you know store what? in sale. So. You, 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 know what, you know what warms my cockles, Mr. Hawking? It's mm. the fact that you, you were similarly, I'll believe it when I see it about Haaland, and I think that it's it's r- absolutely right that people approach transfers in that way. I I don't think that I don't think there's anything to be gained from being a giddy child like me. Or all, all you can do is 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 have more disappointment mm-hmm. if you roll like me. So and one's this big are complicated. So yeah, but it's a, it's, it's a similar path to Holland so far in that the percentages trickled up and up and up month by month by month during last season. So yeah. Absolutely. Um, hey, this is meant to be a preview of Leicester, and here we are, 45 minutes in, talking about all sorts. So, look, I'm going to uh, I'm going to end part one, uh, and we're going to look forward to the Leicester game. Now, earlier today, Mr. Hawkins spoke to Leicester City fan Tom about their precarious situation right now. So we're just going to head over to that. Um, delighted to be joined by Tom from Leicester Fan TV. Uh, good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Yeah, good morning, mate. Good, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, not bad, not bad. It's raining, but the weekend's almost here. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, how, how's your week been? Has it been okay? Yeah, it's not a bad week. Uh, as a, a landscaping contract manager, it's a bit wet at the moment, as you can imagine. <sighs> so, yeah, not great for boys at the moment, the uh, landscaping industry. Yeah, you're so dipping on the way. Well, looks like it's picking up at last. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice to have some 18 and 20 degrees weather back, to be honest with you. Once it just, yeah, get those shorts out. So I'm sure, <laughs> sure it's better in Leicester than in Manchester most of the time anyway, but not uh, not much different, is it? No, not much, not much. It's supposed to be nice next week, so fingers crossed, yeah. I really want that sun. Uh, thanks, for, yeah, sorry, thanks for going on, appreciate it. Uh, sometimes, yeah, you can understand why fans don't want to talk about the football team. I, I had about 25 years solid of that, but yeah. <laughs> it's fair to say, obviously we'll get to your new managerial appointment, but 
generally this season, it's not been a great feeling around Leicester uh, this season, has it? It's not gone remotely how you thought it might. Uh, let's take being a Leicester fan in general. Look, it's the same as you boys. We've had our ups, we've had our down. I've, you know, I've had a season ticket for 24 years. I went to the old Filbert Street. I had my first season ticket in 1997. So I've seen some good times. Mm. I've also seen the bad times and I've also seen us no, nearly lose a football club. And, you know, we're lucky that Gary Lineker saved us with a consortium. So <laughs> we're not too dissimilar when it comes to know how bad times can be being a football club. Obviously, this season hasn't gone to plan and... I think we all, from the beginning of the season, knew our expectation levels probably would have had to be somewhere around 10th or 12th, if I was honest, at the beginning yeah. of the season because we'd lost some players. We hadn't replaced them with any quality. We hadn't really made any signings. The loss of Kasper Schmeichel in pre-season, well, literally losing in two days before the season start to get home to Brentford, meaning Danny Ward was the number one. And I, I generally don't think there was a belief that Danny Wall was a number one when the season mm. kicked off. It was it was a belief we'd lost the best goalkeeper, probably within the top five goalkeepers in the you know in the league at the beginning of the season. So yeah, it, the season kicked off and there wasn't a belief around the club. There was a wasn't a belief for Rogers. He'd lost a lot of the fan base last season with decision making and comments to made towards the fans, chucking players under buses. You know when mm. performances hadn't gone well. And I think he was already, his days of number before the season start. Obviously, then to lose the first seven games, well, only put one point up out of the first seven games going into that international break was not the start the Leicester fans wanted. Two two big defeats, obviously losing to Brighton 5-2 and then losing to Tottenham Malachi two weeks later 6-2. In both games, you know, keeping ourselves in it up to the half-time and then second-half performance completely dropping off. There was a surprise that coming back after the next inter- that, that international break, that Rodgers was still in charge. Obviously, then that another set of game going up to the World Cup, we won six out of seven and we pulled ourselves away from the bottom half of the table. Uh, you know, set ourselves up going into the World Cup 12th and I think it was 12th in the league. And mm. we all were thinking, well, OK, if that's where we are, that's where we are. And we finished around that position, we'll be happy. To then come back after the World Cup and the performances were, well, second to none. It was literally like the team at the start of the season. There was no confidence. You know, scoring two old go- own goals at Anfield really summed up the season in whole from going back after the World Cup. And there just seemed to be no passion. Mm. You know, obviously beating MK Dons in the Cup, uh, beating, only just beating Gillingham in the first round, of the, well, the third round of the FA Cup, our first, you know, game yeah. of the FA Cup for this season literally only just beaten and was a bit of a wake-up call to Leicester fans that this something wasn't right. And then, well, the defeats just kept coming and obviously I was at the home game in Blackburn, beaters in the cup. Again, the decision-making from the manager was questioned because of the team selection and Brennan really had lost the fan base and, you know, I was fully expecting Brennan should have gone after we lost to Southampton away. You know, a, a rivalry at the time that we were in the bottom three with them, and they just dragged themselves within mm. two points of us instead of us moving away. For Brendan then to have another two games before he got sacked was a bit of a joke from the club, and it's really taken the toll now. Where we are going forward for the remainder of the season, that the pressure is completely on us. Yeah, uh, going out to Blackburn in the cup, you've just triggered some Stuart Pearce memories for me. So thanks for that. <laughs> Uh, Brendan Rodgers I find he found he's such a hard manager to define 
I mean, City, there were a lot of press reports, you know, about a year or two ago that City were interested in him. You know, was a Pep successor if Pep didn't stay. Sometimes I think he's brilliant. Sometimes I can't decide. How, <laughs> I guess that sums the guy up in a way. Uh, he obviously knows his stuff. He's done some brilliant stuff at Leicester, but then you always seem to tail off in seasons as well. Is it difficult to define his time at Leicester for you as a fan? Mm, I'd say his first two years, even though, we, and I'll always say we bottled the fifth, two fifth, uh, two top four finisher because finishing fifth both times on the last day of the season, obviously, you know, with the amount of points we'd had and no one had lost Champions League space from those kind of points is really, it hurts because we, how, how good the football was. And it's probably after we went on that, that run of the best, most wins in the league, we won nine games in a row, I think it was. And then suddenly we just fell off a cliff. We drew at home with Norwich 1-1 and everything just seemed to, from that point in that season, two, two years ago, 18 months ago, it was just a turning point for the club. Like, and when I spoke to Liverpool fans and they said about Brendan Rodgers, he'll be right for two, two and a half years and mm. then you'll see the, the players will get bored of his football. And it generally feels like that, that's what happened. The players basically got bored, got bored of playing the football he wanted to play. He tries to go two possession base. We hadn't got the players to do it towards the new beginning of the new season. Well, not last season before. And especially this season, you could tell that going into this season, we hadn't got the players to play it. We hadn't got the Vardy to make the runs in behind as he was. He hasn't got that pace anymore. So we need to be more clever. But generally, I think to sum up Brendan's time at the club, obviously we thank him for the FA Cup. It's the first one in our history. Yeah. You know, we thank him for getting as a community shield. It's, an, you know, it's the second one the club have won and it's been a long time coming. Uh, but I think, as I said before, the, the respect the Leicester fans have for him has gone. He's tarnished that because of the way he's been. Uh, Arsenal away at the beginning of the season we well, I think it was 4-2 we lost in both games we'd come back within a goal difference and within 30 seconds we'd given a goal away and he came out after the game and he was starting to blame the fans about oh the fans need to get off the players back when we're passing out from the back they, they, they're getting too nervous all the time and hang on we're getting nervous because we can see that mistakes are happening every single game here so you've got to change it as a manager when things are happening that was a downfall with Brendan. He has one plan, and if that plan isn't working, he's too scared yeah. or too stubborn. And that was being the thing. The word I'd use with Brendan, he's stubborn. He won't go and say, with 20 minutes to go or 10 minutes to go, go to a centre half like we signed, you know, Harry Souter. Go and stick him up front. He's six foot two. He's Peter mm-hmm. Croucher, basically. Go and play up front, mate. Go and get away from the back four. We're going to go gung ho. We need to get something here, even at 1 0 down. We know it'd still be passy, passy, passy. And then he wonders why the fans are frustrated. So, look, the, re- the respect's there for winning the Cups, but I think at the end it's all yeah. turned sour and the respect had disappeared, really. Yeah, I, I did put in the notes, fair sacking was he not backed in transfer market? But I think you've answered that question already, that it was I, definitely time to go. I um, think what you just got to sum up with the backing in the transfer department. You know, the players that came in were his signings, you know, Vestergaard. Yeah his signing hasn't worked out and he wanted Vestergaard the season before. So he can't say it was not his signing. Ryan Bertram, he brought in on a free transfer, but generally he's, he, he got COVID and he never came back after that COVID. He's had an injury since that. We haven't even seen him this season. Bubakui Samari, you know, a young French, you know, French under 21 player. We've seen glimpses of what he can do, but again, it's only glimpses. Patterson Dakar, we got told when we signed Dakar and Samari, give them one season, the following season, you'll see the best out of them. 
we're still not seeing the best out of these two players either. So he's had the money and he blew the money on players that just suddenly aren't good enough for the Premier League and are taking too long to settle in if they are going to be good enough. What was that thing? You retweeted something in an athletic piece about backroom staff as well this morning. Uh, what was that about? Yeah. Another, another issue with Rodgers, in a way. Well, you know, you, you had Dave Rennie, who was a head physio. He'd been at the football club for 20-plus years. You know, he'd been there in the days of Brian Little in, like the, you know, 96, 97. He'd been through all the managers all the way up, you know, to, yeah. under Nigel Pearson, under Clay, uh, Claudio Ranieri winning the league. And then we moved to this brand-new training facility, and within six weeks of him being there, he's got rid of him. I was moving, he's got rid of him. I, I want my own doctor in. He got rid of someone who'd been at the club 20-odd year, plus years, who knew the back of the club inside out, who was w- well-respected, who's now at Bristol City, I think, is there with Nigel Pearson. You know, he got rid of him. He got rid of analysis team. He got rid of the scouting network that was set up, was so successful with players with Mares, Kante, you know, he mm. found this, this network of players what have been found through this scouting network. He basically destroyed it by the sounds of it. So yeah, he he in some way he tarnished his own reputation he has because he's not listened to what was there. And like I said, the word stubborn is a thing. He he wanted it his way. And if it isn't his way, he won't do it. Anyway, Dean Smith, Shakespeare, <laughs> Shakespeare, John Terry uh, are in. Your thoughts on the appointment? You happy with it? Uh, just what the, I guess there's two ways to look at this. I look oh. at this when Daesh came in at Everton. Is he good for the team right now in a relegation fight? And is he good for the, the team uh, long term? I guess you may, you're probably just thinking yeah. of the here and now, aren't you? Were you ha- are the fans generally happy with the uh, appointment? I think when we were going back eight days, ten days ago, when we were talking about after Roger being sacked and the first name up was Chucky and our way with Jesse Marsh. And I was thinking, what are we doing? Yeah. Why, why are we looking at a three and a half year deal for a man who got sacked by Leeds? He didn't really do much at Leeds. He played all right football at times. Yes, he's worked with Pats and Dacker in the past, so obviously he knew he was a player, but <laughs> it was an interesting one. And then obviously it was coming down to it, and the day obviously we found out that Dino was coming, that uh, there was also talk that Rafa Benitez had been talked about as well. So when it was a toss-up between the two, it was a me for me, Dino was probably the better one, but only a Dino that was bringing him with him was Craig who knew the football club and John Terry because for me Dino has to have those two with him because the package you've looked at Villa when he was successful in that first full season they had I think it was the fourth or fifth best defensive record in the league uh, because of John Terry being there and soon as John Terry left Villa started struggling and then obviously that was the end of Dean Smith's time at Villa because he got sacked after that about five six weeks after John Terry had gone yeah. because the defence record completely dipped off so me, at the, I look at the moment, I think it's the best of the bad bunch that you were going to get anyway. But on the fact that we got Craig Shakespeare, who knows the club, and John Terry for that defensive side of it. And that is the biggest thing for us, shoring up our defence. Look, we're not getting hammered every week, but we're still conceding goals and we're not scoring. So if you're not going to score goals, you've got to try and keep clean sheets to at least get points on the road. So bringing in John Terry was a massive, massive thing for me. And it's something that we're too, being too good at this season. We're too good at being nice. I looked at Bournemouth last weekend when we lost them and they were doing the dark arts of football, wasting time, yeah. going down, chucking the ball away when they could. And I'm thinking, you're not watching what these boys are doing. And every team's doing it, but we don't. We're too nice. We don't, you know, we're winning 1-0, we'll get a throw and we'll take it really quickly. I'm like, kill the time, slow down. And hopefully, you know, John Tay will come in and rub off some of the dark arts of the game from even when he was playing, you know, he knew how to kill time. You know, in a winning position, go down, waste a couple of minutes, take the pressure off you, 
Bournemouth did brilliant last week and we don't. So I think with the three of them coming in, the, the, the Dino factor is in the passionate commitment, the drive that he will show and, you know, the man manageability. You've got Craig Coach Shakespeare is probably one of the best coaches in the country on his day and that's why he got picked to go for, for England under Sam Allardyce because he knew how good a coach he was. And John Teddy, Terry's expertise in defensive organisation skills, I really hope will be the kickstart to our season. And look, no other way to do it, but it would be Leicester to go and get a win at the weekend just because that's the way we do things. Lose to Bournemouth, but then go and get a, a, like a point or even three points at the Etihad tomorrow because that's Leicester City and we've done it all our lives and that's all mm-hmm. I've seen Leicester. We lose to someone we should be beating and then someone we should be getting hammered by, we're going to suddenly get a surprise result. And with the return of Shakespeare, at least giving me uh, a title for this podcast today. Anyway. <laughs> Just not decided which one. Yeah, all's well that ends well. Uh, hopefully not a comedy of errors. <laughs> That's enough punning for now. Uh, after City, you've got Wolves, Leeds and Everton. To state the blindingly obvious, there's three key fixtures for you to get out of this mess, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Wolves, Wolves is a massive game. That home game to Wolves... After you boys, that the weekend is massive for our season to turn around, depending on what we get tomorrow. You know, if we could get a point tomorrow, it's a kickstart for me and it probably gives that players a little bit of lift. But that, going into that wall game, they will know that do or die for me. You've got to beat Wolves at home. You've got to beat Everton at home. And, you know, Fulham in between that is another game that we should be looking at because at the moment, Fulham without Mitrovic don't seem to be the same kind of team. And they seem to be, sadly now, knowing that they're not going to get in Europe and they're, they're safe for another season. So, some of their players seem to be on the beach already. Mm. Let's talk about the game on Saturday then. Uh, Dean Smith's giving his first press conference. You've got uh, Ricardo's out again, is he not? Hamstring. Oh, uh, don't, mate. Story of his life, is it not? Yeah. Such, such, such a waste. Such a shame, really, into his injury record. Uh, Harvey Barnes out. Tillman's back in training, but hasn't trained much, so I'm not sure he'll start. With that in mind, has that dampened your confidence even more, though the ga- the players that are out as much as anything? I mean, Ricardo, I feel sorry for. But yeah. again, I've always got How a question. How can you not? Cl- yeah. Oh, mate, probably the point of before he got injured, he probably was the one of the best right-backs in the country, yeah. not probably in Europe doubt, at the time. Yeah. He was flying and, you know, can understand why big cl- t- clubs were sniffing around thinking end of the season you could see him leave. Obviously, then he got that nasty ACL against uh, Villa at home uh, and he's never recovered. Every time you think you're getting fit, he, he, he's, oh, he's back four or five games, another injury. And then, obviously, the start of the season, we played at home and no one was around him. He kicked the ball and literally went down on the centre circle and that was his season over with the rupture to Achilles. And you're just going, he's not getting any luck. Obviously, losing him and then Harvey Barnes, it's really hampered our win positions in theory you know we haven't got many winners as it is obviously Tete's come in but hasn't bar the Villa game and sort of patches hasn't really lit up what he can do but again I do question is that him not doing what he can do or is that Brendan Rodgers holding him back and not wanting him to go too forward too much because he's too nervous about what's happening this is where Dean Smith factor comes in that I think he will say yes we'll have a structure but when you get the opportunity from what I've seen and some of the video I've seen he's very quick about the transition and getting the ball forward as quick as he can and we all know quick how quick Tete can be. I've seen it. He's lightning when he moves. So Tete probably will get a start at the weekend, obviously, because you've lost the pace of Barnes. Mm. And you boys know about Barnes. He scored enough times against you over the years uh, on that left-hand side and getting down there. But look, I go into the game with still a confidence, but more confident than I was last week because I feel now 
no offence to Mike Stale and understand they're yeah. coaches, they're not managers. You've now got a setup that can actually coach the team and how to give a plan. How are we going to go into this game against Man City and try and get something from it? And now I think they'll come with a, it will be defensive. I think it will be defensive plan from us. I don't expect anything less for it to be defensive, but I think you now have that little bit more face going forward that he will say to the boys, when you go, go. Don't be, don't be scared to go. If you're going to go, go. If we concede, we concede. But we've got to try and take our chances when we get them. So I'm, I'm still confident. I would have liked to have Barnes fit, but I think we all knew the chances were going to be slim. And then obviously, Tia Ricardo's out again. It's, it's just the same old news, really, sadly for him. Yeah, it's hard to say, hard to predict what team's going to be picked when you've got a new manager. But do you have you got any idea of who, you know, when you look at the team that started against Bournemouth last week, have look, you got any idea how Dean Smith, how many changes he might make to this or? Considering his style and how he sets up, who who do you think is likely to come in and drop out? I generally don't see him making too many changes because we haven't got that depth of the squad, if I'm honest with you. Obviously, you know, the players are now getting a second chance. I'd like to see Sainchi come back into the team. I generally, you know, we're talking Sainchi two years ago, was in the team of the season, you know, and Rodgers had completely destroyed this player. Uh, I watched just isolate him in the reserves, yeah. Yeah, basically just isolated him. For what reason? Form or yeah, it, I don't. Yeah, no. See, I don't think it was form because at the point of him starting dropping off, it was weird because he was playing really well, and then he had. I think he had one little blip, a couple of games where it wasn't the best, and then he dropped him. Then he came back in the team, added a good bit, but then beginning of the season, it was just literally like he'd gone. Not this season, season before. You know, he brought in for Farna. He was playing for Farna. He was playing a back three because we were struggling with wingers again. It was just a strange one. And then something happened on training, we believed, and that was it. He, he's not been around the squad. And then this season, it was like he hadn't played a single game. Then beginning of the season against you boys, he came back in and played a game and played him in a three at the back. And it was like, hold on a minute, he hadn't played all season. And then we didn't see him again until like Sotport away in the cup. And he might get a run out in the cup games. You're thinking, you can't do this to a centre-half, to, you know, who's been brilliant to this club. Like, just expect him to turn up a game here and there against the best team and do well. Mm. So I'd like to see him back in. I still think he can offer something until the end of the season. Because obviously we all know he's going to leave and I think he's already sort of signed a pre-contract agreement with Atletico Madrid. But I think he could offer something at the moment. We've got a lot of young players in that squad. Uh, am I right to say Dewsby Hall suspended this weekend as well? No, he's back this weekend. Uh, he was only last weekend. He got two yellow cards against Villa, so he missed the Bournemouth game. So Dewsby Hall will come back into the oh, selection okay. policy. So it'd be interesting to see if he gets played as another young lad or if we go for a bit more experience in the middle of the park. But I think the thing that Jupiter offers is that energy and that we lacked mm-hmm. it last weekend. You could yeah. tell without him in the team. And finally, I guess the only place to finish is with uh, a, a guy who's terrorised City oh. he had before, uh, Mr Vardy. I've not seen a lot of him this season. I've not seen a lot of Leicester. Uh, not probably not watched as much Premier League football this season, perhaps. But myself personally, uh, you say he's lost a bit of pace. Is he? Is he not quite the? Obviously, time catches up with everyone, oh. uh, he, and even a few uh, Bacardi breezes before a match can't change that, <laughs> or whatever he, it is he has. But have you seen? Have you seen a decline in him this season? So. Oh, massively, massively yeah. declined in this season. And it's a sad thing to watch when a player, you know, came into the game so late but did so much with his career with Leicester and for England and probably should have played more for England in the time. But, you know, he didn't get the opportunity to do so. Yeah. Look, he's only got one Premier League goal this season and that was away at Wolves. So, look, we, we could really do with shaky 
somehow getting a few more goals out in between now and the end of the season. We yeah. could definitely do with him against his record against you. He's so good to start that tomorrow. Uh, it'd be interesting to see who he goes up front with. Uh, he went up, you know, he's played Nacho there. He's played Vardy there before. So look, it'd be interesting to see. I hope Vardy does start because I think if we can play the right way, then he is a, a menace around the box. Uh, and I think we need, probably do need that little bit of experience at the temp, top end of the park against your centre ours because sadly I think if Patton Dacker starts, he probably just gets bullied off the ball. Right. Do you think with the injuries you might go with three at the back and two up front, or and do you think, I think generally a lot of it's the... going to be a defensive display and looking to counter attack? I, I think if Leicester fans had their way, they would go three at the back tomorrow and yeah. go two up top to cause you boys some problems when we have the opportunities to. Uh, I, I think if we try and do two defensive and just literally went four five one, I think Leicester fans would be a bit gutted because we've got nothing to lose tomorrow. As mm. I said, the only thing we don't want to do is go and get tonked and make because we've got quite a good goal difference still. I think it's only minus twelve compared to everyone else who's like minus eighteens, minus twenty threes. I think that leads an hour on minus fifteen because they got hammered last weekend. So in theory, that's could be the, the difference between staying up and going down on basically goal difference. So look for me, if we can go to Etihad and get a. A reasonable result for me would be I'll take a 1-1 now, I'll take a draw now before we start and get a point and get out of there. But even if we went there and lost, as long as we only lose 1 or 2-0, I think that wouldn't be a bad result. Mm. Did you want to see signs for the three crucial matches coming ahead as well? Yeah, that would be the biggest thing for me. See some kind of improvement. Yes, it's only been four days of training, but see something that changed in the mentality of the squad because if that's the one thing that's been the biggest sad thing about this season, it's been the mentality of the squad and how poor the performance levels have been. Okay, well, as always, finish with a score prediction. So, And uh, the main podcast, I went for 3-0 City, but <laughs> I do have concerns about the fallout fatigue-wise from the, the game against Bayern at the weekend. You might not see a sparkling perfect City, especially with rotation, but hey, I've been optimistic anyway, and gone 3-0. What, what do you think? I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw tomorrow. Um, I think that'd be a nice result for his boys. It absolutely would, yeah. Uh, Tom, thank you very much for coming on. As always, after this weekend, all the best for the rest of the season and the future. So. Cheers for having me on. Thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Cheers, bye-bye. And we will go back to the panel now uh, to preview Saturday's game. Okay. Thanks for that, Howard. And now I'm back in the room with Howard and Laura again. Hello. Hello, hello. Time for a little Leicester preview. Now, just very quickly, I am the most surprised about Leicester's predicament of all of the teams that find themselves in a similar to Leicester predicament. Laura, are you you equally surprised or did you see this coming? I'd say I'm quite surprised. Um... When you look at where they were, well, it feels like not so long ago, but maybe it was. When did they win the league? Was it 2016? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, it was. Okay. Okay. Well, it was. <laughs> we're looking at it seven years ago now. <laughs> it seems like it was yesterday, but yeah, the the downfall, I'm going to say, that they've been on is, um, it's a bit of a weird one. They wouldn't have been, at the start of the season, they wouldn't have been one of the teams I would have put down there, um, scrapping for relegation. Um, but equally, I also think that although there's some teams that are really struggling, there's some other teams that have maybe done better than expected. Um, you're looking at maybe your Brentfords, for example, your Fulhams. Um, maybe Fulham would have been a team when they first came up that had to maybe put to be a little bit lower in the table than where they are. I'm surprised it's Leicester. 
Mm. Um, Howard, should we worry about a new manager bounce with the Dean Smith John Terry combo, which really sounds like a pub lunch somewhere? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you'd get drunk with those two, wouldn't you? In an afternoon somewhere. <laughs> I'd rather they hadn't taken over because, you know, they had a caretaker manager in charge and they lost at home to Bournemouth last week. I'd been quite happy for Pep to come up against that guy. Look, they kind of a bounce, but we don't know. He's probably a good manager for this sort of situation, but who knows what influence he can have in two days. You know, he's just walked in, basically. When was it done? Was it Tuesday or Wednesday? I imagine it was announced. Uh He's got no real time to look at the squad, make big decisions, you know, work out new tactics and that sort of thing. So, I mean, let's be honest. My biggest concern is fatigue from the Bayern Munich game. It's not what can Leicester do. That there's always a team though, isn't there? Too good to go down that do go down or go close to it. And you look at their squad, and it, you know, it is a bit. It's both a pale shadow of what it has been, but it also still has plenty of talent in it. So, look, if he wants, he is the sort of manager who could bring in some dogs of war attitude. They might be, you know, think Everton at home played dead, low block, not want to engage with us. Could be problematic in this in this game on Saturday, but ultimately, it's more about Manchester City than Leicester City. It's like in between the two buying games. I think the key thing is, you know. What's what home team turns up, and if they're focused, because now they've got you know they've got a league title to go for. That it shouldn't if they're on the game, it, it shouldn't matter in the slightest. To be honest, I think the big thing is from a city perspective is is really just team selection and and how do you rotate. But I would the one thing I would say is that Saturday to Wednesday gives you a lot of recovery time even for even if it is um an away game so i'm not convinced that we'll see the kind of rotation in the past maybe that we've seen in between champions league games laura just looking at it from your point of view um what sort of team do you expect? Do you expect a half-rotated team, pretty much the strongest team? Where are you at with this? Um, it's an ongoing debate in my head, to be honest. Um, I think if he does make changes, you're probably going to see Walker and Laporte come in. Um, I don't think Rodri will be rested. Um, maybe Alvarez. Nah, I think Haaland will definitely start, actually, up front. I was going to say Alvarez then, but I can't. I can't see Haaland not. Maybe Alvarez, maybe starting in the midfield or something like that. Um, maybe resting Gundogan. Um, or rest, maybe even resting Kev. Um, I think there'll be a few changes. Mares will come in. Um, but I don't think there's going to be that many. Um, but at the same time, looking at it on the on the other side, it wouldn't surprise me if he put out the exact same team pretty much um, as what we've been seeing. It really wouldn't surprise me at this point because... I think midweek when we go to Bayern Munich, yes, we've got a 3-0 advantage, but actually we've got to treat that game like it's 0-0. It's only yes. half-time because if, if, Bayern, if Bayern get a couple of early goals, 
um, or even one early goal saying and build a bit of momentum and stuff like that and we look off it um, you don't know what can happen so I think you need you need to maybe bring a couple of players in for Leicester to keep it fresh but I don't think there'll be too many changes mm. Can you see like so for example do you think I think he could swap KDB for Alvarez you know considering yeah. the considering the um, the impact that Alvarez made when he came on Yeah I can see that um, I think as Alvarez played in the midfield before, I feel, I feel like he has. Um, and I feel like that's the fair swap because obviously Kevin plays that kind of cam role. Um, Alvarez can play that. Alvarez also brings a lot of energy as well, which I think we need. Um, and then I think if you've got Alvarez in there, you can maybe rest Bernardo Silva um, because that kind of replaces Bernardo's energy. And then you can have Mara's right wing again. So I think that would work quite well. Yeah, I, I, I would go along with that. Howard, does that make you nervous? Make you edgy? Uh, I think three changes is the maximum that I could be comfortable with when you rotate players. So if it went to four, maybe not. Uh, I think Kevin De Bruyne is the obvious one for me. Now, he came off tactical reasons, says Pep, but he was... There is talk that he was feeling something, or I don't know. Did he stretch, Mm. or was it ankle or knee or something? Don't know, to be honest. I could see it being totally sensible to give him a rest before the second leg. Uh, but yep. again, as always, we're not at the ground. We're not on science sports stuff. We don't know the fatigue levels and who's in the ambers, you know, the orange zone, the red zone, or whatever. So I guess decisions can be made on that. If everyone was a hundred percent fresh and fit, yeah, there's very little reason to change much. Uh, Mares would come in, and I could see Alvarez coming in because. It's you know, you're hardly weakening the team if you bring him in, to be honest. And he could start, he can play with Haaland as we've seen in the past. So you could bring Walker in, you could bring Laporte in. Uh, again, it's not it's not the gap to the second leg that I think the decision will be made of. It's how the first leg has affected players. Yeah. So if there's anyone showing signs, you do not risk them. We have to win this game. It's, you know, what Lloyd would call a must-win game, of course. Uh, but, of course, we've got options that doesn't really weaken the team. The The big danger is that you ruin the rhythm by you know multiple changes, as we've seen in the past. It's not the fact you've made the team super weak. Uh, less than themselves, Tillman's out injured and Harvey Barnes is injured. You know, and he's a dangerous player. Uh, so, whoever you put out you would expect to win this game comfortably, you know, on paper again. But you don't want to change too much because we have, right now, we are just purring perfectly in the system, the understanding between the players, the structure. You know, the number of goals we've scored in the last few weeks is just obscene, ridiculous. Uh, So you don't want to upset that too much, I think. But there's room to make a couple of changes. And I guess you make that decision, not on form, because everyone's playing well. You make it on which players will benefit most from a a rest and who are you putting at risk of injury if you do play them again. Hmm. So a couple of players, just very specifically, Calvin Phillips, Amrick Laporte, and in fact, I'm, I'm throwing Walker in there, right? I think that Walker, Laporte, and Phillips are three players who, for their pedigree, for their value, for the amount that they actually get paid every week to kick football around, 
they should be ready for this game because they played very little football recently. Um, Howard, can you see any of those three getting in? I can see two of them, yeah, absolutely. I don't think we're weaker if Laporte comes in or mm. Walker comes in. Uh, though, again, you might have to change the structure, the system. So I'll be honest, if, the, you know, if it's a game we must win, I'm just still not confident. I mean, Rodri's Rodri, isn't he? He's, un, he's untouchable and he's a machine. So, you know, if he is fit, there's no reason to rotate him. He's just a machine. And the bottom line is, Calvin Phillips is not an able replacement for him right now. So that's the one that would worry me if I saw Calvin Phillips being a Rodri out. Hey, it should still be more than enough with the rest of the team yeah. to win this game comfortably. But it would still give me a little wobble, I think, to see that. Uh, he He's obviously capable of being a member of this squad. Uh, I thought it was a really good signing. But right now, in this moment... I want to see Rodri play every game if he's fit and available. It's, he's that important to us and he's playing on such a level that, mm. yeah, I, I, it I would, would always view- worry me. He's probably our most important player right now. You know, yeah. I, I, I agree with all of that, but the one thing that I would say, um, and actually, Laura, I'd be interested in what you think. I, I'm not sure that, that Calvin Phillips is good enough to play for City if... He can't, I mean, Leicester are objectively on form, maybe the worst team in the Premier League along with Southampton, yeah? And I, I just fear that if in between two massive Champions League games, when you're playing the worst team in the league, if if your man can't get a game of football, he ain't good enough to play for City. Laura, am I being harsh if I say that? Potentially. Only because I, I think this season's been a bit of a write-off for him. Obviously, he had his surgery and stuff like that. Um, and we were also very much out of form before the World Cup. So as a result of being so out of form, we've then had to come back and we've had to pretty much treat every game like a final. Um, he's not better than Rodri. He's not even close to Rodri. Um, but it's it, it's not like if if we played him, he'd probably go out and do the job. I'm not saying he'd do it as well as Rodri and I wouldn't be as confident, but we won't know unless we play him. But I think that's a risk that at this point in time, because every game is like a final, Pep can't do that. We have to go with Rodri. Um, I think we might see him at Wembley. We should see him at Wembley. That should be a game where Rodri, in my opinion, should be rested. Um, The only kind of saving grace we've got really is the fact that now Stearns is playing alongside Rodri. Maybe it just takes the pressure off Rodri a little bit in games at times because he's got he's got Stearns there, hasn't he, to partner him. So maybe maybe that helps in terms of Rodri's fitness. But in terms of Phillips, like we we don't know until he gets a good run of games. But to get a good run of games, we need to be in a position where we can kind of take that risk. And at this point in time, at the business end of the season, it's not the time to be taking them sort of risks which is rubbish in a way because, you know, like I've said, if, if he started in CDM, I'd, I'd back him. I, I, mm. You know, I, I, he, he should and he would be able to do that job against Leicester. But I, I think it's not it's not a fact that he can't. It's the fact that A, that he's not got that match sharpness and match fitness because he's not been playing and B, every game's the final. So we've got to put, realistically, our best team out. It's like we, we couldn't go and put Sergio Gomez at left back. 
Um, but that no, again, that that that, yeah, that would be because we know Sergio Gomez can't compete with Phillips. I think it's a little bit different. We've got a world class CDM that we just can't take out the team because every game is so important. We cannot drop points against Leicester, which means unfortunately we can't take any risks. But I do think Philip will stay, and I think he'll play a big part next season. Wow, that's confidence for you. Yeah, well, we've seen it with Jack. Um, I know Jack got a run of games and stuff this season and I feel like people perform better in the second season under Pep. This season has been, it's been a write-off. He's had surgery. We've had a World Cup. City were awful. No fault of Phillips, but we were awful before the, before the break and when we came back. You cannot throw Calvin Phillips there when he's, he's not match fit. Every game's a final, so we can't take that risk. I think... Next season, I think if we can get him some games in, you know, Champions League group stages, um, early stages of the cup competitions and stuff like that, I think he could play a big part in terms of Rodri not having to play every single game. And in games like Leicester and, you know, your Bournemouth, if, if these sort of teams stay up and stuff like that, your team's lower down the league. I think next season we will see Pep saying, all right, OK, we'll, we'll take Rodri out, we'll rest him and we'll put Phillips in. Um, I thought that's kind of where we're at with him. And I think... Next season, I think it's fairer to make that sort of judgment. But I do think he'll be key next year in, in terms of getting Rodri rested. Yeah, well, I think he, he, if he stays this summer, I think he'll obviously it'll be make or break next season. Um, right, pick me a team and predict the score. Laura, go on. Okay, so um, we'll go Edison and goal. Yeah. Um. I want to rest John Stones. John Stones, he's he's injury prone and he's played a lot of football. So we're going to go Kyle Walker. Yeah. And then we're going to go Akanji. Yeah. We'll go Laporte. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're going to throw Rico Lewis in. <laughs> we're going to throw Rico in and we're going to have... Left yeah, at left back. And we're going to yeah. drop Rico in with Rodri um, to kind of give Rodri that bit more protection. The midfield will go with Gundogan. We'll go with Alvarez. Obviously, we've got Rodri in behind. Um, and then we'll go with Mares, Haaland, and I think Jack's really our only option for left yeah. wing. So that's, yeah, I felt that's a strong enough team to get the job done as well and score a few goals. With the exception of Laporte, that is exactly the team that I have got written down in front of me. Well done. Um, <laughs> Howard, what's your team? Okay, we'll take the team from... Well, I've no idea. I want to hide into nothing here, aren't we all? Uh, take the team from the Bayern match. I think Kevin De Bruyne doesn't start. Alvarez comes in. So take the yeah. So take the team that's on the pitch on sixty nine minutes or whatever when we yeah. go two 0 up. Yeah, I think Walker might come in for Stones, and that could be it. Maybe Mara's in. Mm. And move, or Bernardo Silva could move into more central position. Deeper with Rodri and Gundogan out as well. Okay. okay. But a couple of changes. I think a couple. So I think so. I would say Alvarez for Kevin De Bruyne because he may. It's fair. To, yeah, we'll record. We should say we're recording this way before the press conference. Uh, we've done an early morning podcast, so obviously a lot will become clearer when Pep does his afternoon press conference. Uh, but a couple of ch- I think Mares and Walker in are possibles, and then Alvarez for Kevin De Bruyne. So okay. not a lot, basically. Yeah, from the team no. that was there on seventy minutes on Tuesday uh, night. So 
as I said, uh, my, my team is is almost identical to Laura's team. Walker, um, uh, I play Diaz, Akanji, and I play Rico Lewis at left back. And then I play Rodri, I play Gundo, um, I play Alvarez, I play Mares, play Grealish, and I play Haaland, and that's how I start the game. Um, I, I do think I do think if he can find a way to rest to rest Stones and Ake, I think he rests them because I think that they, as intense as the game was on Tuesday, I think they're in for an even more intense night on on Wednesday yeah. in Munich. So if there is a possibility to rest them, then then I think that is the moment to rest them. You know what? It's at home. I expect City. I'm going 3 0 City. I'm just going big here. I'm going 3 0 City. Laura, pr- score prediction? Going 4 0. Go on. Howard, score prediction? <laughs> 3 0. Okay. Like it. Still like it. Right. Final question before I say goodbye. West Ham Arsenal. Arsenal are away. It's kind of a London derby. It's a London derby. Um, I don't really know what West Ham are this season. In fact, I don't really know what most David Moyes teams are. Um, Howard, can 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 the Amers do us a favour? No. <laughs> well, that was easy. Just, yeah, they've pulled a couple of results out, haven't they? But they're not really much better. But they drew last night in the Conference League, didn't they? So they've had another game as well. The, no, I mean, if Arsenal turn up, and I, I don't expect them to drop off, I really don't. They've had the week off as well. It's a, it's for them a, a three nil routine victory, I think. I now West Ham would just as you say that I still think they'll do enough to stay up and yeah, that's all you can hope for as a West Ham fan right now. But I don't think we've seen some big turnaround in performances in the last few weeks, you know. I just think we've seen minor improvements and Arsenal if they're on it should win that comfortably and I think they will win it comfortably. They'll be focused on this game. No, I just, I honest, I'm not being pessimistic. It just, it was a neutral. If I was sitting down to put a bet on, uh, I would just say, yeah, that's a comfortable two goal minimum victory for the away team. I don't see it, but they are away. <laughs> West Ham are fighting for their lives. You never know, do you? You never know. But on, no. again, on paper, which counts for nothing in sport, uh, it, it just screams uh, a comfortable victory for Arsenal for me. Laura, what about you? Yeah, you want to say that anything can happen in football, um, and it it can, it can. But I think for me, um, I'm going to be pessimistic this week. Can't see Arsenal dropping points two weeks in a row. Um, so I reckon, yeah, they'll they'll easily win that two or three nil. If, if only Arsenal had Harry Maguire in defence, then. <laughs> <laughs> Start with a little chuckle at United, end with a little chuckle at United. I like it a lot, Howard. I like the way you do these things. Um, for what it's worth, I think that uh, getting to halftime at nil-nil is West Ham's route to getting anything out of that game. I think that if they do get to halftime at nil-nil, I think then the nerves might kick in. For our, I think it'll just be a very different game then. Uh, but that will require West Ham to defend like a Moisey team for 45 minutes and defend properly. Uh, and I think David Moyes' general record against the top six is just truly, truly appalling. Yeah. So, it yeah. Is, it's appalling, isn't it? So. <laughs> it is appalling. Right. Well, 
that was the Friday show. Um, Laura, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure. Mr. Hawkin, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed that. To everybody who listened, don't forget, if you like what we do on the Friday show, go to our website, sign up to the 9320 player. We do hours worth of podcasts every week, and we'll be doing loads of them next week as well. There'll be a buy-in preview, a buy-in review. We do a regular series called The Market on the transfer market. We are definitely doing a show next week as there is a lot happening. So yeah, head over to our website and uh, sign up if you're interested in that. In the meantime, be safe, be well, and as always, up the blues.